Well, howdy, welcome to Real Men. Good to see you guys. If you're new, you're in the right place. You are surrounded with the best guys, amen? Yeah. You're surrounded with the best guys. And I just wanna start by encouraging you. Uh, my name is Mark, one of the pastors here. Really honored to teach. And we're gonna be in uh, Matthew chapter six if you wanna find a spot in your Bible. But I just wanna encourage you, man. Uh, my wife, Grace, is back with your wives. And you guys need to pray for more space. We have outgrown this building and property. It's like me wearing my high school jeans. It's very uncomfortable and, and not good to look at. So uh, we really need some more square footage and space but my wife is back and my daughter is back teaching your wives. And let me just say that the feedback that we are getting is beyond encouraging. Your wives are seeing massive transformation in your life. Your wives are encouraged. Your wives are hopeful. Uh, for some of your wives, they're crying and it's the first time they've cried good tears in regards to you. They're actually tears of joy. And uh, just as a testimony, one of the tables in women's last week, every woman at the table said, uh, this was the first week in my entire life that my husband prayed with me, every single wife. Some of these wives have been waiting decades for their husbands just to pray with them, okay? And let me say this as well, you men are doing a good job. You're getting healthier, you're leading, you're growing. We're here to build you up. We're not here to beat you down. And uh, as a result, we are seeing kids ministry explode. Pray for the little guys. We are out of kids space. We set a record for kids attendance this last weekend. People are asking me, what's the secret? Here's the secret. When the men get healthy, the women get happy and more babies get born, amen? Yeah. Okay, so. I'm just telling you how this works, right? Once your wife is like, I trust him, you're, you're gonna get pregnant. That's how this works, uh, just, just so you know. And so everything is great. We're super healthy. We love to have you. And for those of you that are joining us online, I know you're all over the nation and the world. We're honored to have you. For those churches that are joining us, for their ver version of Real Men, we're honored to have you. And I just want you to be in prayer as well. We have a line of pastors that are flying in from around the country to join us on Wednesday nights. And then they're coming to observe and they're going back and they're starting ministries just like this for men at their churches. So what you're doing is important, not only for your family and our church family, but also for for church families around the country and the world. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna deal with the most famous prayer in the history of the world, uh, the prayer of the Lord Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. We've got a few weeks left in the Pray Like Jesus series. If you didn't get a free copy of the book that I wrote with my daughter, feel free to grab a copy on the way out. And then we're gonna jump back in in a few weeks to the book of Romans, and we'll be in it through the spring, the summer, into the fall, and maybe we'll finish it before Jesus comes back. I don't know. It's gonna take a while. It's a great book. Let me pray. Father, thanks for an opportunity to be together. Thank Thank you for the table leads and the men who love and lead well. And God, I just thank you that the, uh, the opportunity we have with these men every week, it's extraordinary and it's supernatural. And God, there are very few places that we see men coming together, building healthy relationships, uh, growing in their relationship as your son and learning how to love and lead with the Father's heart. And so God, what we're seeing is supernatural. What we're seeing is extraordinary. What we're seeing is encouraging. And God, I pray that it would continue not just in the lives of these men, but that it would expand and extend to other men and to other churches and ministries. Because God, our world has a lot of problems, but until the men are right with the Father, uh, the solutions are not coming. And so Lord, I thank you for these men being willing to come, give us their time and their energy energy and their effort. And God, I'm just blessed by them. I wanna be a blessing to them. I'm encouraged by them. I wanna be an encouragement to them. And I thank you for the honor to teach because there's some extraordinary men here. And it's just an honor to be able to teach the word to them. And I thank you for that grace in Jesus' good name, amen. All right, so we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer and then we're gonna make a leadership pivot for you as men. Here's the whole thing, the most famous prayer in the history of the world. And Jesus says, pray then like this. So it's kind of the model and the template of prayer. Our Father, and as I've stressed through the whole series, the key is getting to know God as Father. That's the big idea for the whole series. Prayer is what naturally happens when you know that God is your loving Father. I've got five kids and I don't need to give them a class on how to talk to me. I just need to love them, be present, build a relationship with them. And then they talk to me. God is your father, you are his son. When you pray, pray like this, our father in heaven, hallowed or respected or honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, 
trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So there's Jesus' prayer. Let me just ask seven questions. And these are diagnostics for your soul as men based upon Jesus' prayer. The first one is, do I listen to others as the Father listens to me? That's the first question. Um, Jesus is teaching us to pray and he's talking to God the Father. What this assumes and presumes is that the Father is going to what? He's gonna listen. You're not gonna talk to somebody who's not gonna listen to you. Here's the good news. God is a Father who's always willing and able to stop and to listen to you and to have a conversation with you. And prayer is you talking to him and him talking to you. How many of us as men, and I want us to learn from the Father's example. The leadership pivot for you as men is not just to understand your relationship with the Father, but then to understand how you are in a fatherly position, spiritually or physically leading someone else, and you want to relate to them as the Father relates to you. How many of you as men, we struggle with listening? See, most of you didn't even catch that point. You weren't paying any attention, okay? How many of you, your wife has ever said this? "You, You don't listen to me. You ever heard that? And if you've never heard that, you're not married. You're a single guy. Uh, Every married guy's heard this, amen? How many of you, you know that there are times that your kids are speaking and you're not listening, amen? So let's just be honest as men. What are the things that get in the way of us actually being present to listen? Football, cell phone, work, breathing tired. Get home from work, you're tired. You're like, I've been listening all day. Sometimes just pride, ego, like, you know what? I just don't wanna deal with it. Sometimes guys don't listen because the truth is they're gonna tell us what the problem is and we just don't wanna deal with it. Entertainment, you know what? I've had a long day. I'm just gonna find something to do, find something to watch. I deserve a break. I've already heard it a few hundred times. That's a man who has a daughter. I I just, (laughs) amen. Let's just be honest. There are all these reasons as men are like, I just don't wanna listen. Or what we're listening for is the problem that we can solve. That's it, just like get to the point and I'll fix it and then you can be quiet. (laughs) And the point is that the listening is how we're actually building the relationship. So as the father is willing to listen to us, we need to be the kind of men that are willing to listen, especially to our wives and children especially to our wives and children. Let me tell you young guys this, there is, there is just something very unique about this that works for a woman. How many of you, your wife doesn't want you to fix things, she just wants you to listen. See, as a man, this is totally perplexing. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Listen. Okay, well, when I listen, then what do I do? Just listen. No, well, give me the problem to solve. No, I just wanna listen. You just need to listen. Listening is a ministry and it's a ministry that men tend to struggle with. Because what we tend to do a lot is shoulder to shoulder a lot better than face to face. How many of you guys, most of your relationships, shoulder to shoulder, it's a project, it's work, it's getting things done, but the face to face talking and listening, not so strong. Most men build their relationships and friendships shoulder to shoulder, guys you work with, projects, getting stuff done, face to face, we struggle with. How many of your wives, they're much stronger at face to face. They could sit there and talk and listen. Women actually do this intentionally. It's the craziest thing. Like, what are you doing? We're gonna go somewhere and we're we're gonna talk and listen to each other for hours. How many of you as men? That is not happening. How many of you guys? Coming to a men's group and talking to other guys, like this for you, this is the first time in your whole life. And if it doesn't go well, you're not coming back. Like that's where we're at. Listening is an art form and it's a skill. And ultimately God is a father who listens, that's why we can pray. If he wasn't a father who listened, there would be no point in praying. And let me give you a little leadership clue too. I always talk about a view, a voice, and a vote. A view is who do you let know what you're doing? A voice is who do you welcome to speak into it? A vote is who makes the decision. That ultimately when we pray, God ultimately is gonna make the vote. He's gonna decide. But what prayer is, it's It's us giving him a view into our life. And then it's also us voicing to him what we're thinking and feeling. As a dad, what I used to tell the kids all the time is, I I want your voice and your view, but I don't need your vote. So when the kids were really little, 
uh, mom and I are gonna make the vote. So we're gonna make the decision, right? Where we live, where you go to school, those are our decisions, we're gonna vote. But as kids, we wanna give you a view into what we're working on and we wanna hear your voice. We wanna hear your voice. And so, for example, when we decided to move to Arizona, we actually took six months to make that decision. Now, ultimately, Grace and I made that decision and ultimately the Lord made that decision for us. And so we were obedient to him. But in the process, it wasn't just telling the kids, here's what we're doing. We wanted them to have a view into the process and we wanted them to have a voice. So the kids would ask all kinds of questions that I had never thought about. They're like, well, will we, where will we go to school? Good question. Okay, what will our house be like? Okay, good question. Um, here's what I would like to play for sports. I'd like to be on baseball team or basketball team. Okay, here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's what I'm not sure about. Here's the questions I have. Here's the, the concerns I have about leaving family and friends with the move. All of our little kids had all these sort of things going on in their heart and their mind. And what we couldn't let them do is vote, right? How many of you have learned that? You call a family meeting, you gotta make sure that they know it's not family voting. There's two parents, five kids, I'll just tell you right now, we'd have a lot of problems. But one thing you can do to help coach and lead, especially your children, is to give them a voice, to give them a view into what you're doing, and then to give them a voice so that they can converse about it and ask questions. And as the parents, you ultimately get to make the vote. And what God is doing here is he's modeling for us uh, the view and the voice. God, it's us going to God and saying, okay, God, here's what I got going on. And now I'd like to talk to you about this. And I know ultimately you're gonna make the decision and vote, but I would like to process this with you. And I'd like to talk to you and hear from you, right? And that's what prayer is. Prayer is how God leads us into his will and listening is how God leads us into his will. And as men, by listening, that's part of leading. How many of you men, the goal is just to get the decision made and everybody to execute it, right? This can be in business or at home. Just shut up and do what I told you. No, 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 that's not how it works. How it works is you are going to voice your concerns and questions and objections and fears and feelings to me. I'm gonna help you process those to lead you into the decision that I've made for you as the leader. One of the great ways that you can raise up kids to be good thinkers and decision makers, also raise up people in business and leadership is not to let them vote on everything, but to have a view and a voice into things so that then they understand the decision. How many of you growing up in your household, your dad made all the votes and you never got a view or a voice? You didn't know what was going on and you didn't get to speak into it or even ask questions. The result is that you don't grow and mature because you don't understand how and why the decision is being made. By getting a voice, you're entering into the conversation and then you can coach, whether you're a leader or a father leading a, a child, you're bringing them along in the process. Part of it is the discipleship, it's the leadership development. So do you listen as the father listens? Number two, do, you, do I honor God in word and deed? It says, hallowed be thy name, respected, honored. As men, this begins with the most simple thing of don't take the Lord's name in vain. How many of you grew up in a home where you thought Jesus Christ was a cuss word? Right? How many of you, a lot of guys, they'll use God's name in vain. The Bible says not to do that. It's honoring God's name. It's meaning when we speak of God the Father, when we speak of God the Son, we speak of God the Holy Spirit, we do so with respect and honor. Um, and this is being a man under authority. And what this will model for you, especially in business or ministry or in family, if you model that you are a leader, but you are under authority and you respect authority, you're establishing a culture where others are under authority and they respect authority, okay? This is why one of the worst things, for example, that can happen is if you dishonor God, what's your wife gonna do to you? Dishonor you. And then what are the kids gonna do to her and you? They're gonna dishonor both of you. And now what you have is you've created an avalanche of dishonor. And this is where a lot of men, they're so frustrated. They're like, my wife doesn't respect me. My kids don't respect me. And God's like, well, I'll tell you where it started, son. You set an example of dishonor because what it is for men, we like to be in authority, but we don't like to be under authority. True or false? We like to be in authority, but not under authority. So we want wife, kids, employees, people that are below us on the org chart at work to obey and honor us, but we don't wanna be under authority. The key is you cannot have a culture of honor unless it goes both up and down. 
And if it only goes up to the top and it doesn't go from the person at the top to the Lord, then ultimately you're gonna have a culture of dishonor. So some of you guys, you need to not worry so much about making your wife and your kids respect you. You need to ask, am I honoring God? Am I speaking to God in an honorable way? Am I bringing God into our relationship and environment? And if so, am I bringing that respect and honor down and modeling that for my family? How many of you grew up in a home, your dad wanted a lot of honor and respect, but he was not under any authority. And he would tell you what to do, but he wouldn't do what God told him to do. And as a result, there was a dishonor and a disrespect that came into the family environment. Part of what God does when he teaches us to pray is he teaches us to be men who are under authority and he teaches us to be men who give voice to our concerns and objections. And then that teaches us how to be good leaders because we can then follow his example in our spheres of influence. Third thing, do I lead kingdom down? Some of you guys are new, many of you guys are new. We're honored to have you. This is a big theme here at the Trinity Church. And that is that there are only two cultures, heaven and hell, when all is said and done. And every day we make decisions to invite heaven down or to pull hell up. And when he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as a man, this is when you make your practical decisions, okay? Uh, what am I gonna do with my money? Am I, is it gonna be kingdom down? Meaning God first and God's priorities. When it comes to my sexuality, is it kingdom down? When it comes to my marriage, is it kingdom down? When it comes to my parenting, is it kingdom down? When it comes to my business, is it kingdom down? When it's ministry, is it kingdom down? Meaning, are the decisions I am making honoring my father and his culture? And when he says, hallowed be thy name, that is uh, both verbal and also heartfelt respect and honor for God. Kingdom down is making practical decisions that hallow the name of the Father. Hallow the name of the Father. Uh, we had dinner, Grace and I did, with a, uh, a dear couple from the church recently. He was at the top of his field, tremendously successful, built an incredible business. And at the end, they came and said, you're gonna need to do something that is against your Christian faith. And now you can keep your job and you can make a ton of money and you can keep your prestigious position. And what he said was, no, I can't do anything that doesn't hallow his name and have his kingdom come and thy will be done. It doesn't matter how much power, how much position, uh, how much uh, preference or, or, or how much finance you give me, the answer is no. See, there are times as a man that you don't make the decision that works, you make the decision that's right. You don't make the decision that wins, you make the decision that worships. There are going to be times in our life as men that what we do is going to cost us time, money, energy, influence, and position. And it is saying, you know what? I have to vote for the kingdom. I can't vote for that which is antithetical to the kingdom. And as a result, I am trusting my father to take care of me. And I'm going to do what is in his best interest, though it may not be in mine. And let me say where our culture is going, this is only going to increase that continually from how you parent your children to how you view gender, sex, marriage, family, politics, and everything else, nothing is going in our direction. Nothing is going in our direction. Heterosexual, strong men filled with the spirit, living biblically, we are now officially an outcast minority group. And it means that there'll be increasing pressure for us in our education of our children and the architecting of our lives and the spending of our dollars and in the construction of our ministries and businesses, there's gonna be increasing pressure to not honor his name and to not live kingdom down, amen? We wanna be those men though who bless and honor that. We wanna be those men who say, you know what? God bless you, you did the right thing and the father is pleased with you and that's all that ultimately matters. So are you living kingdom down? Are you living kingdom down? And these are very practical decisions that men face every day in business and in work and in ministry. Um, a verbal process in this one, but like I was, I was dealing in a real estate deal with somebody recently. I'll give you an example that comes to mind. Um, this person is in a difficult position. So in the negotiation, I'm fighting downhill, they're fighting uphill. I've got the strong position, they got the weak position. And as we were discussing this potential real estate deal, what I told him was this, I love Jesus. I believe that God's will is a win-win. 
I believe that something is of the devil when it's a lose-lose. When nobody wins, the devil won, okay? When it's a win-lose, I think it's the flesh. I win, you lose. When it's a win-win, I think it's the spirit because I believe God loves both of us. So we both win. I said, so right now you're in a position where this could be a win-lose. I said, uh, what I'm asking you is, you tell me how to make this a win-win. You ask, you tell me, how much money do you need? What would it take? What would a fair deal be? Not how can I squeeze you for the most money in this deal? I wanna get a reasonable deal. I wanna be a good steward of God's money. But at the end of the day, I literally told this person, I said, I want to do what he wants me to do. And I believe God wants me to be gracious with you and generous with you and merciful to you. Okay, now are you supposed to say this in a real estate deal? No, no. This person started crying and they said, uh, I used to go to church, I haven't been in years. And I believe God sent you to me. Could you pray for me? I stopped in the real estate deal and prayed for them. And what that is, that was in that moment, literally what God brought to mind was this prayer. And I'm not telling you I'm a great guy and always do it right. I gave you the one time I didn't mess it up this month, okay? <laughs> but in that moment, at first I was thinking, okay, I'm in a strong position. We could really you know, leverage this. And then it was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My father's been generous with me. I should be generous. My father's been merciful with me. I should be merciful. My father's been very honest with me. I should be very honest. And all of a sudden it went from a real estate deal to a ministry, okay? And then again this week, you know what this person started giving me? Prayer requests. And then they sent me an email yesterday. Um, I prayed, they prayed. They asked for prayer and now they're praying. You know what? You know what's more important than real estate? People. You know, I, I, I like real estate, don't, don't get me wrong. And if you have some, I'll give you a write-off for it. Okay, I, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, I'm not against real estate. I'm not even kidding there, right? We need space. So if you have land and the Lord just spoke to you, two or three witnesses, we got 300 of them, there you go. So, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not about winning a deal, it's about winning a person. And it's not just about advancing my kingdom, it's about serving his kingdom. And it's not always just about winning, sometimes it's just about worshiping, okay? And it's that the kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, God, what do you want? How would you handle this? Father, if you were in this deal, how would you treat this person? It's that, it's very, very practical. And it deals with how we deal with employees and spouse and kids and coworkers. It's how we negotiate our deals. It's just different. And some people look at it and say, no, you need to be ruthless and, and cutthroat. And the issue is my father's not like that. And I believe that over all of this is my father. And I believe that if I act in a way that honors my father and I represent the values of his kingdom, that he will find a way to be generous with me and make up the difference. How many of you found that in life and ministry or even in business? You're like, it doesn't make any sense. God just fixed it. That's what he does, okay? Um, number four, do I pray for needs and live in contentment? He says, give us this day our daily bread, daily bread. Do I pray for needs? Some of you men, you carry a strong burden to provide. My dad was that way. My dad was a union drywaller, uh, literally hung sheetrock until he broke his back to feed five kids. My dad is a very hardworking man and I love my dad for his work ethic. When I was little, there were times that my dad would live on the job site. He would sleep in his truck or on the sheetrock and he would send the money home to me and mom so we could eat. Uh, there were times that honestly, we didn't know where the next meal was gonna come from. I came from a working class poor family. And, um, and I think, let me just say this, I think there's a big difference between lazy poor and working class poor. There's a big difference. My dad was not lazy poor, he was working class poor. He worked very hard and we just had a big family and, and, uh, and sometimes jobs wouldn't pay him and sometimes, um, Pay wouldn't come for a while and sometimes things were tight. But I knew that my dad loved me and I knew that he worked hard and he still does, my dad's a great man. 
And there were times that literally as a little boy, I remember that we would pray for that day's bread. Okay, that day's bread. And, and the question is, are you praying for daily practical needs? It's okay to pray for daily practical things. It's, in fact, how many of you have kids and they ask you for very practical things? Okay, so, just, so those of you who are dads with little kids, just let's just be totally honest for a minute. What are some of the practical requests that young dads got today from your kids? What's that, bathroom? Candy. Can I have candy in the bathroom? That's, that's next level. Can I have a dog? Oh, I, I've got a German shepherd I can give you. I'll answer that kid's prayer, man. Can I play video games? Can I play video games with the dog in the bathroom eating candy? That's um, practical, other practical requests that the kids made today. What's that? Just, they just want some time with you? COVID goes away. Your kid asked for COVID to go away? Your kid's got a lot of faith. I'll tell you that right now, right? Kids make very practical requests. And how many of us as dads, we're not bothered by those. Dad, can I have something to eat? Can I have something to drink? Can I get new cleats, right? I'm on a new little league team and I need to go buy a new bat because the, you know, the drop is different. Yeah, okay. Can you help me with my homework? Sure. Um, hey dad, can I go get some shoes? Yeah. Kids are gonna make practical requests to their dad all the time. God is your father. He is not burdened by practical requests. It's okay to pray for very specific, very practical needs. He's okay with that. The other thing is though, is when you pray for them and he provides them our daily bread, are you content and grateful? How many of us, we get our bread and we're like, yeah, but they got more bread or they got better bread. All right, it's like, you know what? Be content with your bread. Just be content with your bread. And at the end of the day, if you have enough bread, then what you wanna do as a man, you wanna start to look for other opportunities to answer other people's prayer for their daily bread, okay? One of the things that we've always done as a family, we always give way over 10%. To me, 10% is a floor, not a ceiling. God's been super generous with me. People always ask, well, I gotta give God 10% of my money. My thing is like, my question is more like, God, how come I get to keep 90% of your money? It's his money, not mine. I don't know about you, anybody that wanted to give me 90% of their money, I'm saying thanks. God gives me 90% of his money. I, I, we've always given more than 10%. And, and then what we do, we, we give beyond that. And I've always set money aside, significant money aside. And I told the kids to always be looking for visible needs to meet the prayers of others. Okay. There was a there was a missions event some years ago. The speaker got up and he, they had a big amount of money that they needed to raise. And he said, I have good news. We have all the money we need. And everybody cheered. And he said, I also have bad news. It's in your pocket. <laughs> and so sometimes what happens is God has already provided for their need, but it's in our pocket. So if, if we've prayed and God's given us our daily bread and they're praying for their daily bread, their daily bread might be in our pocket. And as we meet that need, we're answering their prayer. Sometimes God answers his prayer through us. And the reason that he does this is so that we would share in his joy. How many of you, you really believe the scriptures that it is more blessed to give than receive? Christmas comes, your favorite thing, opening your presents or watching your kids and grandkids open their presents. If you're healthy, that's a simple answer, okay? That God is a generous father and sometimes he answers our prayer for daily bread and he gives us more bread than we need so that as other people are praying, we can answer their prayer. And then we get the double blessing of not only having our bread, but then sharing his bread with them. And as men, this is where we wanna be generous. And as the father is generous with us, how many of you, the father has been very generous to provide you the bread, okay? I mean, and this is what happens in America. We, we pray and we don't have gratitude for what God has already provided. Our country is so richly blessed. It's the only country where the people who hate it still won't leave, <laughs> right? Like there's not thousands of people right now trying to walk to Honduras, <laughs> okay? What that means is that we have lived under such an abundance of God's blessing that there still needs to be accompanied with that a sense of gratitude. 
and a sense of generosity. Thank you, Lord, and let me help meet the needs of others who also are praying for their daily bread. Uh, here's the big one. Number five, do I repent? He says, uh, and God forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He says over in like in Luke 11, our sin. So sin and debt are synonymous. Most men tend to be very familiar with their financial debt, not so much with their spiritual debt. We tend to really keep an eye on our money and we tend not to keep an eye on our morality. And God sees both accounts. And every time we sin, we accrue a debt to God. That's where he's saying, forgive us our debts. And what this is, is this is going to God and repenting and it's owning it as a man. It's not making an excuse. It's not blame shifting. Um, it's not minimizing. It's not denying. It's not ignoring or pretending. It's owning. God, you're right. I am wrong. This was so bad. Jesus died for it. So it's a big deal. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Okay. I believe that this is for a man one of the hardest things to do. How many of us as men, we don't like to say these things I'm wrong. I'm sorry, it's my fault, I have no excuse. How many of you guys are like, yeah, those are four things not on my bucket list, I'm not saying those. How many of you, your dad never said, I'm sorry. Your dad never said, it's my fault. Your dad never said, I was wrong, okay? Let me tell you this, when you repent to the father, you already know what his response is going to be to you, what is it? He's gonna forgive you and love you. So it says in Romans 2, the kindness of God leads to repentance. We know that the father's heart is loving toward his sons, which we are. And so we already know in advance how our father's gonna to respond to us. Let me say this, our children and our wives need to know what our response will be before they repent. And our response to them needs to be the same as his response to us. That's where he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What he's saying is, I am going to repent and you're going to be good to me, and then they're going to repent and I'm going to be good to them. Let me say this, some of you men are newer to the faith, we're honored to have you. Some of you men, now that you're learning and growing, now that you're getting around healthy men, some good husbands and fathers, some really incredible men, how many of you are realizing that the way you've lived your life, treated your wife or raised your kids has some real flaws? Any of you notice, Any, anybody be honest? As you're getting healthier, you're looking back going, how did I do it over again? I wouldn't have treated them like that. I wouldn't have made that decision. I would have never said that to my wife. And I would have been more involved, invested in my kids. I, I, I miss my windows of opportunity. Any of you feel a bit of that grief? Can we be honest as men? How many of you right now, you're looking at teenage daughters going, rut row, rut row. I, I, I let Nickelodeon raise her, you know? And, uh, and, 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 and teen magazines, which are all written by dirty old men. They are, just pick up a teen magazine, how to be hot and get a boy. They're like, oh my gosh. The world we live in is just bent on destroying our children, which means if we're not active and healthy and focused, they are in harm's way, okay? Now saying that, how many of you men looking at maybe your wife, your kids, your business, your life, you, you look at it and you go, Oh boy, I see some stuff that was really wrong. And if I knew then what I knew now, I would have done some things very, very differently. Any of you men experiencing that? Okay. Let me say, if you're healthy and honest and you get around good men, this is exactly what you're going to experience. You only have two options at that point. Um, you can just uh, not deal with it or you can own it. The best thing you can do is go to the wife, the kid, the kids, whatever the case may be, and just own it. Just say, I was wrong. That was a sin. I failed. I was not there. I blew it. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Okay. How many of you, if your dad would have done that, that would have changed your entire relationship with him? We don't need our dads to be perfect. We need them to be perfectly honest that they're not perfect. Nobody has or needs a perfect dad. We just need an honest dad who's honest about their imperfections. One of the most powerful things you can do to unburden, to heal, is just to apologize. 
right? How many men don't do this? How many of you are at work and nobody does this? Something happens, there's never, very rarely in work, does something happen and somebody steps forward and says, it was my fault. No way. It's always somebody else's fault or there's a reason or there's an excuse or something of that nature. Here's the good news. Jesus already died, so you're not gonna get a beating. Jesus was already punished, so the Father's not going to punish you. And if you will then go to him and be honest and own it, then he's gonna send you to the people that you have also hurt or you failed and we all have. And ultimately, if you will own it with them, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna unburden and deliver them. And, and as men, what we don't understand is it's not going to break trust to be honest because they already know that we failed, right? So if we own it, we're building trust. They're like, I trust you, you're honest. Um, and sometimes the best way to do this and give you a, a little dad tip is just to ask the kids, where have I failed you? What burdens do you carry? What should I have done differently? Um, how can I apologize? How can I make it right? I asked this to my kids. My oldest daughter's married. We, we had this conversation a lot before she got married. I didn't want her to go into marriage broken and frustrated and with a father wound. I was like, honey, I know I'm not Jesus. I know I failed and I know I made mistakes. I love you. Here's some things that I see. In addition, what are the things that I don't see? And I'm not gonna argue with you. I'm just gonna own those. And I'm gonna seek by God's grace to fix those things. My oldest son is engaged to be married here in March. We're having this conversation, son. You're now a young man. You're on the runway. You're ready to launch your life. I love you. Here's some things that I, looking back, I, I could have done better as your dad, some areas that I failed you. And I love you, but I wanna own these things and ask your forgiveness. And then son, tell me, where did I fail? What did I do wrong? What do I need to apologize for? What do I need to own? Because as he's heading into marriage, he's gonna start to see me differently. How many of you, you saw your dad one way and once you became a husband, you saw him different. And then when you became a dad, you had a different perspective. So I have this open conversation with my kids. I keep inviting it. And uh, it was a couple of years ago when we were first here in uh, Arizona, we're having dinner as a family. We're sitting outside and I threw that question out. And what I love is my wife, Grace, doesn't use it to invert the authority structure in the family. She's not like, okay, dad's vulnerable. Now I can attack him and the kids can join me in the alliance, okay? How many of you, if you, if you had a family meeting, you're like, okay, guys, I want you to be honest about me. Your wife's like, <laughs> all right, she's loaded for bear. She's got 27 years of bitterness already in the chamber. And she's like, all right, kids, dad said we get to shoot. I go first, load up. All of a sudden you feel like you're on a Comedy Central roast. And you're like, this is not what I wanna be doing. I wanna honor Grace in that. She's never done that. She's always been very respectful. Um, and she doesn't cause the kids to be bitter or invert the authority structure. Um, but it was at dinner and I threw out that question, what have I done wrong? What can I do better? Is there anything that I need to know? And uh, my youngest daughter, who I love with my whole heart, um, she's very, uh, she and I are very, very, very close. She's a daddy's girl. You got one of those? Her friends are making fun of her not too long ago. They're like, well, you're just a daddy's girl. You just hang out with your daddy and your daddy just kisses you and prays for you and blesses you and buys you things and spoils you. I said, what'd you tell him? She said, I just told him it's sad that every girl isn't a daddy's girl. Ooh. Yeah, I was like, you know what? That's good. That's a good one there. I like that, you know? Don't repent of me liking you. Let's keep this going. And she looked at me and she said, no, daddy. She said, I'm just glad to have you back. And I said, honey, what do you mean? I've, I've been here. Like I'm home for dinner, I'm on vacation. I mean, I'm, I, my kids are priority to me. It's Jesus, Grace, and the kids. I got this real clear. She said, yeah, dad, but there was some years there. She said, especially recently, she said, you were just so burdened. You had so much going on. You were so worried about how we were gonna survive. She said, you were there, but you, you weren't really listening and paying attention. I just start crying. I said, sweetie pie, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, you know what? You're right. You're right, honey. I was distracted. 
I was not as present as I could or should have been. And I asked her, I said, honey, were there days that you needed to talk to me, but you didn't because you could sense I was already burdened? Were there times that you, you needed to invite me in, but you could see I was already distracted? She said, yeah, there were a lot of days like that. I started crying, I said, honey, I'm so sorry. Let me unburden you, let me apologize. Let me say that it has nothing to do with you. It's not because I don't love you and you're not a priority. It said, apparently dad got some things out of order there and that was a sin and I ask your forgiveness. And I prayed over her, we cried, I kissed her on the head, I told her I loved her and, uh, and I, I check in now. So when she's talking, I look at her. I try to turn my phone off. I give her lots of hugs and kisses. I'm always checking in. I always go into her room. Anything I need to know, anything I can prepare, like I wanna make sure she knows like dad is focused because what I was thinking was that I could be a defensive dad, wait for her to bring me things. I needed to be an offensive dad who was pursuing her. And she sensed that. And let me say this, as men, if we will repent, what it actually does, it creates a different culture, especially in our marriage and family. If dad repents, guess who gets to repent? Everybody. If dad gets to blow it, who gets to blow it? Everybody. If dad gets to be imperfect, who gets to be imperfect? Everybody. If dad's like, I messed up. Then when the kids mess up, they're probably more likely to go to that dad and say, hey dad, I messed up. And what that does, that allows the kid to invite the dad in before it becomes a crisis. If we never repent, then we create an environment where those in our family don't repent. And that means that they're still in trouble. We just don't know it. And then they're in a crisis. We don't know until it's a crisis. The key is to create an environment where we come clean before we get caught. So, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Last two. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do I fight temptation? My question to you would be as a man, where is your temptation? And are you praying about that? Because what happens is we tend to get defensive and wait for the temptation to come. You need to be offensive and pray before the tempter brings the temptation. And let's just be honest. The list of temptations for men is fairly short because there's a greatest hits list that's worked throughout history, right? So let's just do the greatest hits list. What are those things that men tend to be tempted by? Lost, Lost sex, women, money, alcohol, drugs. It's physical comfort. A lot of the sex, drugs, food, alcohol. It's all just physical soothing. Power, anger, work, wealth. I mean, it's a short list, right? I'm gonna eat something, I'm gonna sleep with somebody, I'm gonna kill something, I'm gonna buy something. Like, it's a short list. We're fairly simple creatures. <laughs> I mean, I don't believe in evolution, but if I did, we're a few back of the ladies. That's where we're at on the chart, okay? They're a little more complex. But most men, it's like, well, what are you doing with your pants? What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your mouth? What are you doing with your eyes? It's a pretty short list. And what it is, it's praying offensively, praying against temptation before it comes. And let me say this, prayer is how we war against the enemy and his temptations. And when you stop praying about it, you're ceasing to fight against it, okay? And, if, and as men, let's just be honest, we've all got struggles. We've all got a thing, at least one thing, that that's our tough thing. You need to be talking to the Father about that and praying offensively and making your decision before the temptation comes. If you don't talk to the father about it, here's what I guarantee you, you're not gonna fight against it. And if you don't talk to the father about it, you're not inviting the father into it. What I always told my sons was this, I'm your dad, I love you, I'm for you. If you have trouble, invite me in as soon as possible so I can help. Last thing I want is my son having, you know, a real complicated fight on his hands and he's isolated and he's fighting alone. God is our father, you're his son, your temptations need to be inviting him in through prayer and praying offensively to make the decision before the temptation comes. Some of you men, you've got secret sins and the truth is the father already knows about them. And just because you're not talking to him about those things doesn't mean that he doesn't know about those things. It just means he's waiting for you to invite him in. Last one is, uh, do I forgive others? And that's where he goes on in the longest section of the Lord's prayer, he talks about forgiving others and forgiveness. 
And let me just close with a few minutes for this for men. The number one thing that causes most men to be emotionally unhealthy and broken is bitterness, okay? There was a guy named Luskin. He wrote a, he wrote a book called uh, Forgive for Good. He runs the Forgiveness Project at Stanford University. It was the largest data study done in our nation's history on forgiveness and unforgiveness. It's a clinical study. No indication that he's a Christian. I don't know him, so I don't know, but nothing that I read indicated that he understood the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus in our place for our sins. But from even a secular understanding, he said, if you will just forgive, it actually does incredible things to your health. People who forgive have lower rates of depression. They have lower rates of self-medication and addiction. They have lower rates of heart attacks. They have lower rates of stomach ulcers. They have lower rates of uh, migraine headaches. Statistically, people who forgive, they actually just get healthier, statistically. One of the reasons that some men are so unhealthy is they're, they're, they're just holding on, they're unforgiving. And what happens is someone hurts you, abandons you, betrays you, fails you, and then someone else comes along and you never empty that account. You're just always adding to it. And therefore you just get more broken, more unhealthy. Some men then they get very angry. Some men feel very justified to do even dangerous, destructive and damnable things. Other men get very isolated. They don't want any relationships because they're so bitter and hurt that they don't wanna give anyone the opportunity to hurt them again. And what he talks about is when you forgive, when you don't forgive, it's like the plane is still in the air. Forgiveness is how you land the plane. Some of you guys, there's so many people and things in your life that you're so angry and frustrated about. You need to forgive and land some of those planes. And one of the analogies he uses is that when you forgive, it's not that that thing that hurt you or harmed you is not part of your life. You're just moving it out of the center of your life. And he uses this interesting analogy. When you forgive someone, you're taking what was really wrong and you're boxing it up and you're putting it in the garage on the shelf. It's still true and it's part of your life, but it's not the center of your life, okay? Some of you, your frustration, your hurt, your bitterness, your ex-wife, your failed dad, the business partner who robbed you, right? The family member who disowned you, the friend who betrayed you, that person is not living in a box in the garage on the shelf. They're living at your dinner table, right? They're sleeping in your bed. They're in the center of your life. They're still in your life in this prominent place and you can't get over or heal from it. By forgiving them, you're handing them to God. You're not letting them get away with anything, but you're getting yourself away from everything. You're saying, you know what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm gonna let the Lord deal with them and I'm gonna move on with my life. And so my question would be to you as a man, how are you doing at forgiving? Okay, because as men, here's what we don't like. We don't like to lose. You know what forgiveness is? It's a willingness to leave the field. It's a willingness to give up the fight. It's a willingness to not have to win, but to walk away and to then let God be our advocate and let him go to war for us and trust him for whatever victory he would have for us. But as men, we don't like to lose. We do not like to lose. And sometimes forgiving feels like losing. They did something, I need to make it right. I need to get them back. I need to make it even. And God's like, no, you need to let it go. And you need to trust me to deal with them and you need to move forward with the future that I have for you. And so who or what do you need to forgive? And for some of you men, I'm just gonna recommend uh, something very simple called a processing letter. Secular counselors will say, it's good to just get silence and solitude, go out and just journal out. Okay, this is who I'm frustrated with. Here's what they did. Here's how I feel. Here's what I think, da, 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 and get it all out. If you do this on the internet, that is not a processing letter. <laughs> if you hit send on the email, it is not a processing letter. Okay, bitter people do open letters, forgiving people do processing letters. And then literally it's setting it on fire. It's shredding it up, it's burying it. It's saying, you know what? Okay, I'm done now. I've processed it, I'm done. You can see this in certain books of the Bible. There are journal entries with men like Nehemiah, uh, Jeremiah, the book of Psalms. Uh, there are sections in Ecclesiastes that read like processing letters. Some dude sits down, he's like, all right, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling, here's where I'm at, here's where I'm really frustrated. I'm gonna give it to God and I'm gonna move on with my life. 
For some of you men, the key to your future is forgiving some things in your past. Okay? And some of you, I just feel inclined to say this in the spirit, then I'll close our time in prayer. Your wife knows she's not forgiven. She lives under that. She lives in an environment where she knows that she starts already in debt and anything she does is going to add to her debt. Some of your kids know that you've not forgiven them. Some friends know you've not forgiven them and they're living under that. Let me say that's demonic because the father doesn't do that to you, right? The father doesn't hold it over you. The father doesn't rub your nose in it. The father doesn't do an archeological dig and just continue to excavate the past. He lets it go. And as we forgive, that's how we're hallowing the father's name. That's how we're inviting thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting that culture of forgiveness to come down with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we forgive people, we don't even need to tell them. Some of you are like, well, I'm gonna tell my wife I forgave her. Or you could just forgive her and then just treat her differently and see if she doesn't see it for herself. Okay, who do you need to forgive? What do you need to forgive? I know for a fact it'll spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally heal you, unburden you, and allow you to move forward with the future that God has for you. So a couple questions and I'll close in prayer. What has God been teaching you lately? I ask this question all the time with the Driscoll kids. In the car, at the dinner table, what is God teaching you lately? Who or what are you thankful for? Who or what are you thankful for? And then how can we pray for you? And here's the cool thing. We don't just study prayer, we pray. We're gonna do a testimony. I'll pray for you right now. And then you're gonna get time to pray for each other. And for those of you who are new, you're gonna see something that never happens. Hundreds of strong, competent, godly men humbly praying for each other because these are good sons and we've got a good father, amen? Amen. Father, thank you for our time together with the men. Thank you for the honor to teach. Lord Jesus, thank you. You came down, you got involved. You made our problems your problems. Uh, You made our life your responsibility. You are the son of God. And Jesus, you took away our sins so that we could become the sons of God. And Jesus, thank you that when you taught us to pray, it was to Father. And Father, we ask that we would have your heart, that we would lead with a Father's heart, that we would love with a Father's heart. We pray that the environment of our homes and our marriages and our parenting and our businesses would be kingdom down and not culture up. God, we confess that this world is a disaster. It just, every day, hell just gets pulled up and everybody's frustrated. And the only hope is that the spirit and the kingdom would come down. And so Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray that way. So that's how we're gonna pray. No matter what's going in the world, uh, would the kingdom come down in our heart, our mind, our life, our soul? Would the kingdom come down in our marriage, our family, our parenting, our business, our ministry? And God, would we be the exception to the rule? Not because we're exceptional, but because our father is gracious. And so we ask for this grace in Jesus' good name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.